Well, hello there. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Michael Blanc. I am super excited that you're here. If you haven't already, make sure you go to Dealmaker Live and grab your tickets. Dealmaker Live is our annual event. Takes place this year, July 16, 18 in Dallas, Texas, the same place we had last year at the Hilton Anatole. Awesome time. And I know you guys and gals who came last year are going to come again. And some of you guys missed it. So make sure you grab tickets at dealmakerliveevent.com. Super early pricing right now. It's going to be most affordable tickets. So if you think there might be a chance you're going, grab them now. They're going to go up in price as we get closer as they normally do. So we already have confirmed guests, Robert Helms, the real estate guys, and Tom Wheelwright. And there's a few surprise guests that will start trickling out here as we get a little closer. It's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. So if you enjoyed last year, this one's going to be better. Make sure you grab your tickets. DealmakerLiveEvent.com is where you can do that. Today on the show, we have one of the youngest, if not the youngest, uh, podcast guest ever, Will Harvey, 26-year-old, just quit his job a month ago using apartment buildings, all right? And what I love about this is he's he's super young, hardly any experience, and he really talks about his limiting beliefs, why specifically two years ago, someone told him about multifamily and he dismissed it. Why did he dismiss it? How did he overcome that limiting belief? How was he able to overcome his other limiting beliefs, thinking small, starting small? How was he able to overcome that? And how did he get do it? I mean, what did he do next? What did he do second? How did he finally quit his job? He kind of burned the boats. It's a super, super inspiring story. And that is next on the show. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. Hey, Will. Welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks for having me, Michael. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. This is unusual because we're actually in the studio together live. Uh, normally, these are done. I, I like to hide behind my microphone, but you actually live in my town. I know. It's crazy. I feel like I'm on Joe Rogan's show right now. You know, <laughs> we're there together. <laughs> and, and not only do you worry about the town, but you just literally quit your job like in late 2019. Right. So, of course... I need to have you on the on the show. So it's really awesome right. to, to be here. And and you are, you know, I, I look at the the people who quit their jobs and they're typically on a spectrum. Uh, some people, they leave before technically they have their income covered uh, and they just do it just to burn the boats. And there's other who hang on to the job a long time because they're just really uneasy about uh, leaving the job. And you are on the left hand of the spectrum. You kind of burned your boats. What happened there? So about a couple years ago, uh, I started listening to your show. I stumbled upon it. I was uh, I just bought my second house and got to the point where I needed to have systems in place for screening tenants and just dealing with all that stuff. So I started listening to podcasts and I forget which one I stumbled upon, but yours was one of the related episodes. So I was to, like, to what, you were, what, what kind of podcast were you listening to at the time? I want to say it was Bigger Pockets or, yeah. or something like that. About rentals, right? It was about rentals. Yeah, single family rentals. So, like I said, bought my second one and I was just like, what's next? You know, what, what am I doing next? I was making good money in the mortgage business and all I was thinking about was real estate and just what I was going to do next. So, I started to listen to those podcasts, like I said, and just. Hearing it, I, I just always knew that something was missing. I just was looking at the numbers. And if for those of you that don't know, I, I'm in uh, northern, we're in northern Virginia. And to put it in perspective, the second house that I bought, it was a rental and I bought it for 400000 So, you know, I'm running out of money. There's no cash flow. So I'm like, how is this going to get me to financial freedom? So that's when I, I, I was, I was kind of searching, but I still kind of went the course of saying I was going to buy one house every year. And that's not a bad plan, right? I mean, right. that's better than a lot of people. 
but let's rewind the clock a little sure. bit. Why did you even start pursuing real estate and rentals? Like, because uh, you're, how old are you right now? 26. 26, right? Yeah. So when you got started, you're probably 24. 24, right? 24. So, so, I mean, a lot of, you know, so what, what was going on in your life? And you were making good money too at the That's same right. time. So what was the problem that you were trying to solve? The problem I was trying to solve was that I was making good money, but it was all W-2 money. So I was getting hammered on taxes and I felt like I was a hamster on a wheel. So being in the mortgage business, it's a sales role. You're only as good as your last deal. You're only, you know, every month you start at zero. So that was really what, what motivated me to get into real estate. And also I was learning about all this all debt and how it all worked. And I was like, I need to buy houses myself. So that was part of it as well. Just being in the business made me, you know, I, I figured out I could get an FHA loan, have my dad co-sign, buy my first house, and then, you know, bought a second. And You started yeah. thinking about real estate as a way out of your W-2 job. Specifically, that's kind of what you were thinking? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And then, right. And so you, you started educating yourself about real estate. And like most people, you come across, hey, real estate, single family house investing of some sort. And you're like, I know, we'll just do some single family house rentals. Yeah. Yeah. So right. the, fir the first thing I did was uh, the first house I bought, it was actually a, it was before I knew what a house hack was, I house hacked uh, my first house. It was a three, three level townhouse in uh, Haymarket, Virginia. And I bought it and I had, I lived in one room and then I had two renters in the other two. Nice. And I got rent that first month that they paid me. And I was like, this is it. I found, this is what I need to do. It was just awesome because I was living for basically $200 a month yet I was uh, reaping all the benefits of um, depreciation and paying down the mortgage and all of that, being able to write off the interest. So it was really cool. Like I said, fast forward, I started making more and more money in the mortgage business, kind of got to the point where I had the, the, the bank account was growing and growing. It was, uh, it, was, it was painful to see that, that money sitting in an account earning like 0.0001%. So, so that's why I bought this second house. And like like I said, did, did, I kind of did the same thing. I got uh, a 12-month lease on the house that I left. So I, I filled that with a tenant, bought this one, lived in, lived in one of the rooms, rented out the other two. So I did another house hack. I was a single guy, no kids. <laughs> so I was able to do that. And I, uh, like I said, was just searching because I was like, this is just not a, I don't think this is a scalable thing. So once I saw your related podcast on that one I was listening to, I clicked on it and I'm not even kidding you. It felt like, it might've been a little bit longer than this, but it really felt like within five minutes, I was like, this is what I need to do. I pretty much threw out the whole thing I was doing with wanting to buy a house every year. And uh, I really set out to, to educate myself on, on multifamily. Now, how'd you do that? How'd you educate yourself? Because at this point, you decided that you wanted to pursue, but you had no idea really what, what you're going to do. Right. So how did you figure that out? Yeah. So what I, what I did was I, my, my car became a mobile university. Oh, and, great. Yeah. And every time I, it was like I loved driving places because like, oh, I get to throw on a podcast, whether it's yours or Corey Peterson's or whoever. And, uh, and that's really how I, how I learned it. And I just, all the different terms, NOI, cap rate, uh, all, all that stuff. That was that was how I, I got a, I would say, elementary understanding of it. Then I started to reach out to different people that I knew. My dad has been in business for a long time. He's got a pretty good network. So I had him start introducing me to some of his friends that were in commercial real estate and, uh, and dove deeper into it. Fast forward, you and I got together. 
that that you know a couple of years ago and yeah, I remember you were yeah. you you were already thinking multifamily at the time and and you were pretty much hell bent going staying local. I think that yes. was your your major hang up is like you know I'm gonna go I'm gonna go local and you were thinking you know about an hour away. Yeah, because there was there was a, the town Winchester. It's about an hour away. It's not as cap rates aren't as compressed out there as they are where where you and I live. Obviously, so that was that was kind of what, what my thought process was. And I try I try to talk you out of it, and you were a little bit resistant at the, at the time, if I remember. Like, well, maybe I'll just get started there. What what kind of changed for you? Why did you I, I suppose uh, overcome that maybe limiting belief or what what it was? Why did you believe that first of all? Why did you feel like you wanted to do to stay local? Because I, I I wanted to be able to touch and feel whatever whatever I was buying. Really, if there was an issue, I wanted to be able to get there quick. So that that was that was the main. That was the thought process behind that. And I, to answer your question, what, what changed that was I started and just realized that I'm, I'm looking in a, in a, you know, I'm trying to find a deal in a, in a phone booth, basically. It's such a small area and I'm not, I'm not going to be able to find it. So that, that was really what, what changed. Uh, I started reaching out to brokers. I actually paid some money and got uh, CoStar. And the reason I, <laughs> you're laughing, the reason I did that was to, to have access to the brokers. I was like, well, well, you know, I can see the deals that are on there. They're probably not good. Uh, if they're on CoStar, it's usually a dead deal. CoStar LoopNet, not always, but, but usually. But what I can do is leverage that and try to meet the, the broker attached to it. So I did that, started meeting brokers. And that's when I realized like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to, this is way too small of a pond that I'm, that I'm fishing in. Okay, that's, that's awesome. So how did you shift? What did you do next then? What happened? What happened next was I came in contact with my now partners, uh, Brandon and Stuart. So I saw something they put up on Facebook about they were doing multifamily. So I reached out to them and I just said, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, me, me and two others are, are, I had two people that I was working with at the time that I met through the mortgage business. They were all in on, on what I was doing. And I was kind of leading the group. And I reached out to, to those two guys. Brandon I went to high school with. Stuart coached me in Little League football. And, and Stuart was a, is, is a, is and was a mentoring student of, of ours. And he and his son uh, came in yeah. a mentoring program together. That's right. And so you went to high school with him, uh, with, with Brandon. Brandon. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. interesting. So I, I reached out to Brandon. I'm like, hey, man, long time no talk. I see that you're, <laughs> you're looking for multifamily. So am I. And, and uh, we got together shortly after that and just had an amazing uh we just had a great, a great. I think it was dinner together, and because you, you guys don't know each other, in, in, in yeah, we've talked in years, right? Because he's law enforcement, you're doing mortgage, yeah, whatever, and that's then you right. get together, all of a sudden you're jamming uh, multifamily. That's, that must have yeah. been a weird conversation. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a great conversation, and it was just all about. So Stewart is very business minded. He's owned a business for a long time, very, very successful, and he was he was like, well, how can we scale this, and how can we, you know, you guys are thinking too small. How how can we really scale this? So it was a great. You know, we, we had a great synergy and fast forward a little bit, we, we ended up, I think it was a couple months after this, we kind of let things go. We remained in contact a little bit, but then they found a deal. It was a 48 unit property in, where was it? It was Newport News, Virginia. And they get it under LOI and they bring me in and they were going to syndicate it and I was going uh, to come on as co-sponsor. So they, they bring me in. I'm all excited. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to put some of my own money in. I'm going to raise money and this is going to be great. But then we find out that the, the property is zoned as a motel and they were operating it as a, as a market rate apartment deal. So, so killed that one. And then we were like, man, what do we, what do we do now? We had one on the hook and, and now we don't. 
And Stuart was was kind of the one that that you know we had worked really well together, even though that deal never closed. We worked very well together, and Stuart said what everybody else was thinking, and he was like, "Well, why don't we just why don't we form a, a new company and all basically merge?" So that's what we did. We formed uh, CEO Capital Partners, and we were able to get get started and get into a into our first deal pretty quick. And yeah, it's been been fun. Yeah. So so obviously uh, networking and partnering is is key. We see a lot of people who are accelerating their success by joint venturing or partnering together. Right. It's no, no, no different for, for you guys. How are you kind of splitting up your roles inside your, your partnership? Yeah, well, first, I'll, I'll answer that, but, but I want to I tag on to that. When I was first getting started, I, I was in the mortgage business. And, and when you're a, a mortgage guy, you're basically like a realtor. You're on an island. You're, you know, there's, there's nobody else that you really deal with. You're, just, you're in charge of your own success mm-hmm. or failure. And you don't really rely on anyone else. So it's very it's isolated. Mm-hmm. So the whole partnering thing did not come easily to me. When I first started listening to all the podcasts, I was like, well, you know, a lot of these guys that are doing these partner deals, they're not making the kind of money. I was almost like arrogant about it. I was like, they're not making the kind of money that I'm making. I can just do this all on my own. And that is so far, this is just not true. But I just wanted to to, to point that, that out. That is a good point. It yeah. is counterintuitive that there's really no right. other no other business where joint ventures are so common, so lucrative, so natural exactly. as it is with multifamily. So it is a bit of an unnatural act. And a lot of people do think, especially coming out of any other job or even really a single family house investing, partnering is not really it's not really on the table. It's not even consideration. Multifamily, it's almost unnatural not to partner. Yep. And and you guys uh, figure you're not the only one to figure it out. I, mean, I would say almost the vast majority of people end up partnering. And these are not necessarily uh, partnerships in, in attorney. Some you can also partner on a on a particular deal. Right. You guys decide, hey, we're going to do a, a formal company around that. Yeah. And exactly. so now we'll ask and answer my. And now I can answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we divide up our roles? Yeah. So so we uh, th- there's five of us, and we have essentially when we started our, our, our roles have evolved a little bit when we first started out there were four of us so it was myself brandon and Stuart, and then i had the two people that i brought in they were husband and wife and the husband was he was in sales good at, at um just just doing that whole whole game so he came on and was going to be involved with uh with capital raising and then his wife was going to handle the back end of things and really tie it all together. She was she's just skilled when it comes to Excel and administratively. Whereas for me, that's not a strength. So it really, it really, really helped us. She allowed us to kind of get out and, and do our thing and, and meet people and raise money. So so Excel is not your strength. Okay, uh, what are your strengths? You think my strengths? Oh man, that's a good question. <laughs> I would say that my strengths are. Getting out, meeting with people, and just just forming partnerships, forming relationships. I'm a re- relational guy, so I would say that that's my that's my strength. And therefore, you gravitate towards sort of the capital raising side, and anything that's yep. tech or administrative or uh, detail oriented or Excel oriented is probably not your strength. I run for the hills. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And this is this is where we see the partnerships work very well when there's a clear delineation of, of roles and responsibility and strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And that's again one of, one of the thing I love about this is you can literally 
You can literally play into your strengths. You don't have to try to overcome your weaknesses in someone and get really good at Excel and really good at whatever. No, you just do whatever you love to do anyway, which is chit chat with people, play golf. I don't know, right? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. My whole thing was when even before we formed uh, the comp- company with the five of us, uh, I had my own entity, and w- my role, my job was basically to go out and uh, shake hands and kiss babies, meet brokers and bring in deals and then Janet would underwrite them. Yeah. So that, that was the that was the plan. We we had very defined roles and and uh, it worked beautifully. Yeah, I love that. I love yeah, that. Yeah. So let's talk about your first deal because the, sure. the challenge always is how do you do your first deal? And there's always different ways to do it. You can obviously source your own deal, raise the money for it. How did you guys go about doing your first deal? Yeah, so it was on that point of relationships. Relationships are everything. Uh, and Stuart had a relationship with someone that had successfully syndicated a bunch of deals, gone full cycle on a on a few of them. And we had an opportunity to come in as a co-sponsor on one of their deals. So that's how we 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 did our first one. And we were just gung-ho. We were able to raise about a little less than half a million dollars uh, on our first one. And you know, we just, it was, it was really cool to finally see it come to fruition because I had been beating the streets for a long time trying to get deals, what well, felt like a long time. So you guys are clearly set up to, to source your own deals. In fact, you've been looking for your own deals. You, right. We haven't found anything yet. And so you kind of went to maybe a parallel path, which is try to raise capital for another experienced operator. And I think that's a great, that's a great way to go. And, and, you know, and you did that a, a couple of times uh, since then you raised money for this operator. Yeah, exactly. So, so that first one, we were able to come in and, and really what we were getting from that was we, we were less concerned. It was, it was really cool that we were able to, to uh, raise capital for that one and come in as a co-sponsor and be a part of it. But the, the main thing that we got was that the credibility uh, with, with, with brokers and just being able to say that we had gotten involved and done a deal. Well, that's right. Now you have that, you've done that first deal. Now you don't control the deal. Maybe you didn't find the deal, but it gives you credibility. You are now a general partner in this deal and you played a pivotal role in that deal. And essentially that triggers the law of the first deal. It does the same exact thing as if you found the deal yourself. Brokers aren't going to distinguish exactly what exactly was your role in this, in this deal. Now they're not going to they're not going to ask those kind of questions. You still get the track record and the, and the credibility, not only for your own experience, but now leveraging the experience from this particular operator. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's, that's awesome. Exactly right. So again, this is a partnership almost within a partnership because you guys partner within, then you partner with someone else. So again, without the idea of partnering, you wouldn't have done a single deal at all. Correct. And you wouldn't have been able to quit your job. If I would have been the, the, the hard-headed mindset I had initially, <laughs> which was just continue making money and do my own thing, I would have never... Yeah, I, I might have bought a, a five unit and and had in it, Winchester. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, and it probably wouldn't have gone well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's 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 fantastic. So now you're at a point now where you quit your job. What went in the thinking of doing that at this particular moment versus waiting, uh, waiting? Like why why that timing? Why'd you do it? Uh, because a couple of years ago, I don't know. I just got it in my head that I wanted to quit, and I actually talked to. My boss, January of 2019, so a little over a year ago, and he's talking about. He's like, "Where's your business plan for for being in the mortgage business?" I was like, "I don't have one. I, I actually I wanted to talk to you. I'm planning on exiting the business, and I just don't want you to be blindsided. I don't want you to." And he took it. You know, it went over like a lead balloon. And I probably shouldn't have told him as early as I did in hindsight, but I, I was just trying to do the, I, I thought it was the right thing to do and tell him that my head isn't really in it anymore and tell him what I'm focused on. 
but uh but yeah it kind of <laughs> kind of hurt me in the mortgage business it did, yeah, yeah okay. a little bit but but yeah t- t- i would say that two years ago when i started listening to that podcast that was when i really got it in my head that I need to figure out a way to, to leave this. So you were hell-bent on, on leaving, exiting the mortgage ba- business. Hell-bent is an under, uh, understatement. understatement. So yeah. you, you did it any, anyway. Again, why did you do it kind of, you kind of did it before you're necessarily covering all your living expenses. Now, having, having said that, so you were a high-income earner, but you were, you were single. Uh, what did you do about your expenses? In other words, did you, did you try to do anything about your expenses to try to lower that threshold or... Yes. So, right. So what I, what I did was uh, I lived well below my means. So I didn't let, as I started making more and more money, I didn't let my expenses creep up. So I I did that. So that was, that was helpful. And approaching, I think it was July, August timeframe of 19, I was able to refi one of my properties and, and just do a rate term refi and save about 300 bucks a month. So that helped. I increased rent on all my properties and that helped. And then what else did I do? There was, there was some other debt that I got rid of. And I was very, very close to, to being to where my, uh, my passive income covered my, and then there's a deal I've gotten passive in a, in an apartment deal. So, so that as well. That, so this is, this is a critical, yeah. uh, this is a critical thing though, because you didn't just, you didn't just go out and, and go for passive income. You actually really looked at your expenses. Oh, yeah. and, and try to get those down uh, as much as you can because the lower your expenses are, the faster you can cover them, right? Yeah, exactly. So, and then you'd made some tweaks on your existing rental property. Um, and then at this, and you, so why did you leave your job at that, at that time? Right. I know you wanted to get out, but it's not like you had done a bunch of deals with a bunch of, you know, right. $10,000 coming in per, per month necessarily. Why did you do it then and not wait a little longer? Because it was an opportunity cost. So even though I was making good money, I looked at it as a long-term opportunity cost where if I'm in this full-time and, and my full focus, you know, I'm a big, I love the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller. I think it's an awesome book. And I knew that if my focus was divided, that I wasn't going to get to where I wanted to go as, as quickly. And so I, I just had socked a bunch of money away and knew that I had a few years of of living expenses in the bank and that, you know, I just kind of bet on myself and knew that, that I'd be able to, to figure it out. So that's, so that's where I am right now. Yeah, that's awesome. So what's, what's next, it. what's next for you guys? Well, we started our, we started our podcast that launched in early December. So we started that and that's where, that's where my focus is right now. So, and, 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 and we, we had had a discussion a few months prior to that. It was the first when we started recording interviews and, and doing all that. It really validated uh, what we were doing. And, and you gave us some ideas to, to work on about building a platform. So that, that's really what we, that's what we're, what we're focused on. We, we reached the point where we had, we had done a few deals as co-sponsors, raised some money, and we kind of hit a wall in terms of you know, our, our investors being tapped out. So we knew that we needed to, to reach beyond our, our local network. And that, that was the thought process behind starting the podcast and getting that going. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you're in, a, in an enviable position. You've done a few deals. You've quit your job. You're able to focus full-time on this thing. And you've raised some money. You've raised half a million dollars, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, more. A little yeah, bit more, yeah. about a million about or so. A million, about a million, which yeah. is great. And so now you have a, a different, what I call white-collar problem, which is um, how do I scale this business up? Because yeah. I can't meet with as many people as I can to go from one million to, say, 10 million. And how do I solve that? And the answer, as you said, is you need some kind of online platform. That's right. Uh, you need a way. So talk about kind of some of the elements of, of what what you think a, a platform is and, and what that will do for you. 
well, Stuart's the better one to talk to on this as we, as we were discussing before the show. But the, the whole thought process is that by having a platform, you really position yourself as a, a thought leader. And we've already seen, we've seen people that were kind of on the fence about getting involved with multifamily and potentially investing in one of our deals. We've seen them ever since I started the podcast. They're like, hey, I'm listening to it. Let me know when you have a deal next. And then they're more, they're more engaged. They, they, you come across a little bit more credible and you just create this, you create this funnel of sorts where, where people reach out to you. They see you on, you know, on your podcast and on other podcasts and they, they want to start the conversation. And, and that's really where it all starts. I hope I'm answering your question. No, no, you, you, yeah. you are. I mean, okay. the, the platform really is a, is a way not only to get the word out, that's an yes. element of it, but you got to be able to capture the audience in some way. You got to be able to capture the email uh, of some, someone goes to your website. And then once you have that email, you have to nurture that, that person to the point where they become, you know, where they invest with you. Right. And yeah. so being able to do that. And now you can uh, either on your podcast, you can, uh, you can do a shout out to your website or some free report or download you have. You can go on someone else's uh, podcast. And so now you get all these people downloading this thing or registering for your joining your investor club. And, and all of a sudden you start accumulating these investors and you guys are doing a great job engaging with your podcast. You're sending out a weekly newsletter. So stay engaged. So when you have a deal, they're like, oh, this is great. I'm finally, I'm ready to go. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And being that we, you mentioned that we have a lot of people in our group. We have five in our group. It's not just a one-man operation or anything like that. So it actually, in this case, benefits us because everybody has a defined role and it's it's like a well-oiled machine the way that everybody is uh, is set up within our group. Well, and since there are five people, you you got to scale. You can't just stay at raising one million dollars exactly. because it's does not interesting. So you have to get yeah. to raising ten ten million dollars a year, thirty million dollars a year, and then it becomes very interesting. That's it. I I think frankly that a platform that we just talked about. I've done run some some numbers on this because I love spreadsheets, unlike yourself. And conservatively, I think someone can easily ten x their current capital raise. Uh, with a platform done right in 12 to 18 months. So if you're raising a million dollars, the platform that you're that describing within 12 to 18 months, there's no question in my mind that you're not raising $10 million. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd, um, I, w- I wouldn't doubt it yeah. based on the initial, what we're seeing just from two months of, not even two months of uh, of having the, the podcast live. So yeah, I agree. So I, you know, the good thing with you is, uh, unlike myself, you got started with all this stuff way earlier. I mean, I didn't read Rich Dad Poor Dad until I was like, I don't know, 33 or four or something like that. Long, you know, you figured this out a lot, lot well, sooner in life. But nevertheless, if you could have a, a conversation with your younger self, uh, at what point would you talk to yourself and what would you say? Well, I would probably talk to myself before I got into drugs and alcohol and tell myself not to go down that road and, you know, because you'll end up getting kicked out of school and, oh, right? <laughs> and all of that. But, uh-huh. but in terms of real estate, I think I would... I think I would talk to myself after I bought the first house, and I would get I, I, I would get on to uh, just th- just thinking bigger than that because I had a friend of mine that he he mentioned to me multifamily, and I and this was right after I think it was right around the time I bought the first house, and I kind of tuned it out. I was like, no, I'm not there yet. I need to you know baby steps. I need to crawl before I walk, and. Looking back, if I could have gotten started then, I would be so much further along. This is it's interesting, right? Because we get this a lot. Why did you tune that person out? So you're, yeah. What in your mind? Why did you tune that out? Limiting belief. That that's it. Well, describe describe that limiting belief. It was the what fact. Are your concerns in your head. 
the concerns were, you know, I saw these these big properties and I figured some guy with millions and millions of dollars was was buying them and I was not that guy. So I think that's the, it was just lack of knowledge, lack of confidence, and not really confidence, really just lack of knowledge. All right. So what would you say to your younger self then, uh, either bef- right before or after you bought that single family house? You, you were saying you got to think bigger, like literally, what would you say to yourself? I would I would tell myself to start I would tell myself to start listening to podcasts and expand, you know, just instead of saying, I can't buy that, how can I buy that? Okay. So that, that's really what I would, what I would do. Yeah. What does that do for you and, your, and, and someone's mind when you listen to podcasts? Why is that a good idea? Because, well, first off, when you're driving, it's a lot of, it's a lot of wasted time, in my opinion, if you're not doing anything or listening to stupid music or stuff like that. So, so I think that you can really, capitalize and kill two birds with one stone while you're driving and when, when you listen to other people when you hear people tell their stories when you when you hear people talk about their successes their failures what they're doing it really takes this it breaks the ceiling off of what you thought was possible in your head like when i listen to elon musk talk or bill gates i'm like man what i'm doing is not that hard Elon Musk is trying to colonize Mars. That's crazy. So I, I I listen to that, and it's like that guy is just thinking way higher level than I am, and and that that's an extreme example. It is extreme because the problem right. the problem I have with that is I have a hard time relating to Elon Musk because he's such True. a. Even when I read the Art of the Deal by Donald Trump, I was I was just blown away by the scale of the way that the way this guy's thinking. He's thinking with at least way more zeros than I'm thinking. Right, right, and I right. it was it was interesting to me the fact that someone is it's thinking so big, but I had a hard time to relate to a person like that. Yeah, very, very true. But podcasts—that's the cool thing about podcasts. You feel your—you you feel like you're—it's—it's it's not rehearsed or anything like that. It's a conversation that's just happening, and and that's why I, I I found power and value in listening to to people tell their story on podcasts and just how they got how they got started. So I I think that that's that's what I would say on that on that note. Yeah, exactly right. I, I, and what I love about podcasts, number number one is free, of course, but you get to listen in on on very successful people. And, you know, invariably, there's going to be someone that you can relate with. Like, I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate with you. You know, you're, you're a young guy, right? And a lot of people say, oh, I, I, you know, let me, let me get some experience. Let me get 10 years of experience. And you don't even have 10 years of experience, right? And so if someone's going to say, oh, my gosh, you know, this guy, Willie, he didn't know, you know, didn't hardly did anything as a young guy. Well, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole point of these uh, of these of these podcasts because I really want people to see where a person came from and you came from where almost everyone is is some kind of some kind of w two job right yeah. something like that and how did you extract yourself from that because you're struggling with you know the limiting beliefs that everybody else struggles with I can't do this uh, let me get started small first this I can't do that this is not going to work right. right and so you've grappled with those things and and I find it so interesting that limiting beliefs are they're literally made up it's almost like you're lying to yourself. It's really fascinating. Right. I'll just once you start small, like that limited belief. Why is that there? Yeah, it's exactly. logical. Yeah, but but like you're, like you're saying with Donald Trump, and he just thought so big. Go to Manhattan. That's crazy. I would never even today. I would never. Yeah, it's it's wild. Um, you're you're exactly right though. They're 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 totally made up. In hindsight, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But but still, looking back, you're right. It's absolutely made up. And and it, this might sound crazy, but if I could do it all over again, I would probably figure out a way to leave my job even sooner. I mean, that's seriously. So even though it was good money and, uh, and by all, you know, if you're outside looking in, it looks like I'm 
in my 20s and making making really good money but i just felt like i was a hamster on a wheel and it wasn't it wasn't going to be a, a, a long-term thing that i wanted to do so where do you see yourself kind of like paint a picture like three to five years you know you're you're easily covering your expenses uh you could sit on the beach if you wanted to like what, what do you what do you think is next for you man it's so hard for me to think that far yeah. out but but i would i would say uh, yeah i would i would say definitely my my expenses are covered and i you know we, we just have this awesome thing that's 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 rolling and we have really been we we see our our platform wealth junkies as really growing into something cool so that's what we're that's where my uh, a lot of my energy is spent so just just seeing that i don't know what it'll become everything a year ago if you asked me if if, if we would start this i'd say no i have no desire and <laughs> i don't see the point but uh so so that's why it's hard for me to to look out into the future, but uh, but uh, but I would say just just continue to grow and scale, see what the market what the market does, and kind of just go from there. Yeah, what what lights you up about your podcast, uh, the Wealth Junkies? By the way, what, why do you love doing that? Uh, it's fun, and I would be lying if I said that once we started interview because as I got closer and closer to the end of the end of 2019, I knew I was going to have to to renew my licenses. You have to get licensed in the mortgage business every year. So I knew they were expiring December 31st. And when we started recording, which was early September, I didn't plan on leaving my job. I, I was gonna renew and just do it for another year. Uh, but I started listening to all these guys tell their stories and it, it was just amazing. And I was like, man, what am I doing in my job? Like, why am I hanging on to this thing? There's no. There's no real point. If I make an extra little bit of money, who cares? So, so that that's that's kind of what the value has been for me so far is just hearing these these incredible stories of people that came from nothing or had uh, tremendous setbacks in their life and, and what they were able to do about it. So, so it's that's fun, what's been fun for me. That's great. What, yeah. What's kind of your parting uh, guidance for someone in a W two job and they're like, man, I want to do what what Will's done. Uh my parting guidance would be to, to seek advice from people who are qualified to give it. That's what I would say. When I, when I was thinking about leaving, I long before I ended up doing it, it was about a year before, or even two years before when I started listening to everything, I started talking to guys that were, were quote unquote successful. And I was, I was telling them, you know, I, I, I have this thing, I started listening to, what do you know about apartments? <laughs> and and uh, they'd be like, oh, I don't know, tenants are, you don't want to mess with people that have 500 credit scores and, and they're dirty. And yeah, you want to stay away from that. And, you know, I was talking to those people and I was like, I think I can, I think I can eventually leave what I'm doing here and, and go into this full time. And I have a plan that I'm kind of putting together. And all these guys were like, no, nah, that's crazy. You're, are you on drugs again? You're, <laughs> you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars. What are you doing? Wanting to, you're in your, you're 25, you're making good money. Don't, don't rock the boat. Don't do something like that. And looking back, those people that were telling me that were not in a place in life that I wanted. So why was I asking them in the first place? But then it was, it was funny. I would, I would ask guys that were very entrepreneurial that had, some of them, one guy I know in particular, he owned a, a self-storage place. And I asked him about all this. He's like, man, that's a great idea. And he was like, he was like, that is so awesome. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, that's, these are the type of people I need to talk to. So it's the people basically surround yourself with the right people. Exactly. 
Yeah. And sometimes, many frequently, those are not your friends and family, unfortunately. Yeah. No. A lot of times it's, yeah, a lot of times. It's- but I, I agree. I mean, I think speaking to the right people does a lot of things. It, it opens your mind, number one. It also gives you a certain amount of confidence and belief in yourself that you can do something. Because you talk to someone who's done what you want to do and they think that what you want to do is not a big deal. They're like, yeah, you can do that. And they see something in right. you that you don't even see yourself. Right. That's it. And that is so powerful. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Well, dude, congratulations again. I want to give you this, uh, my favorite coin, which is the financial freedom coin, oh, dude. appreciate it. Big blue coin right here. Look at see? That. So on the front of this coin, if you guys are seeing this on the, on the, if you're on YouTube right now, it has an eagle that says financial freedom on it. And this is what we give people who quit their jobs. And, uh, and that. so, and now what happens is though, is once you've uh, achieved financial freedom on the back, there is a compass rose with an N, uh, north towards north. And so now the, the stakes become higher because now your goal is to find your true north. What are you meant to be? And it says in the top, it says significance and the bottom it says legacy. So that is your next that is really challenge. Cool. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you. Cool, man. Yeah. How can people uh, find, find out more about you? Well, they can listen to our, uh, our show, Wealth Junkies. And we have a, a thing on our website, wealthjunkies.com. It is the five things to do when you hate your job and have that entrepreneurial itch. So it's a, a little ebook. Go download that. And uh, if you want to shoot me an email, you can as well. It's will at wealthjunkies.com. Awesome, man. Thanks for being here. Congratulations again. I appreciate it, Michael. All right. I hope you're inspired by Will's story. Super young guy. He's a hustler, though. Definitely motivated. And what I love about that, he's really honest about his limiting beliefs, thinking small, thinking that multifamily is an advanced strategy, thinking that he can't do these things. And how was he able to squash those limiting beliefs? It was really about by surrounding himself with people who are supportive, who have done what he wants to do. And that's really lesson number one is find yourself a new group of friends and mentors. Podcast is a great way to do that. This one, but there's others as well. My gosh, you can listen in on successful people who have done what you've done. Create a peer group around yourself. You can do that at DealMaker Live, of course, coming up in, in the summer for that. Great place to connect with your partners as well. But really surround yourself with supportive people who have kind of done what you've done or are doing what you're doing. Number two, educate yourself. And that's kind of what he did. He started with a syndicated deal analyzer, partnered with one of our students who has now uh, formed a company together. And he was really able to have that support group and the education built in. So education is super important. And number three really is partnering. I mean, hardly anyone now does not partner. It's almost a a natural act. It's counterproductive. And it's super important that you guys partner and you play to your strengths like Will has, he realized quickly that he's not an Excel kind of guy. Now, did he learn the syndicated deal answer? Yeah, you have to. As a capital raiser, you do actually have to learn how to underwrite deals, but is it his favorite thing to do? Is that something he's going to do every single day? No. He loves, he's a relationship person, so he's going to focus on the capital raising, and he's partners with other people who are more analytical, who like to do deals, call brokers, and that kind of stuff. So partner, play to your strengths. And number four, really think about building a platform. Typically, when you first start raising money, you do it one-on-one, and you do that because you don't really know how to do it. You don't know what the objection is going to be. You have to have conversations about who is your ideal potential investor. What are they going to ask you? How are you going to respond to that? But once you do that, the next problem you're going to have is how do I scale this? I can't meet enough people, new people. I've exhausted my my immediate group of friends. And you can easily raise 500000 to a million dollars in that way, kind of like Will's group has. But you really, it comes a point... Well, you need to scale that. And that's when a platform really comes in. And we're going to be spending a lot more time talking about platforms in 2020. We're going to talk a lot about uh, marketing and how to do that exactly. In fact, uh, we just completed our first platform builder framework 
workshop. It's actually a system that I developed based on what I've been doing over the last five years, building uh, funnels and online systems and, and the exact systems and automations that we use for Nighthawk to raise $8 million in three days. We actually wrapped all that stuff in a workshop and completed it. We had 10 participants in there and it was fabulous. I really do believe that uh, given a platform that we kind of talked about, I talked about on the, on the show with Will here, really allows you to 10x your current capital raise capability. Or if you haven't raised any money yet, it will, it will basically skyrocket you into the capital raising. So I'm really excited about that. If you want to see a full training on that, it's about a 30-minute uh, recording I did of a, of a training I did a little while ago of the Platform Builder framework. And it talks about what it is and exactly how to build the sequence. And that is at themichaelblank.com forward slash platform, themichaelblank.com forward slash platform. And you just register and watch our training. And I think you're really going to love it. All right. So if you are interested now, this is for the active investors building a platform. But if you are interested in investing in our deals, uh, we'd love to have you join our investor club, the Nighthawk Investor Club. Nighthawk is our investment firm. And we have a website, believe it or not, nighthawkequity.com. And you just click the join button and you fill out a short form and have a, a conversation with us. And, uh, and then down the road, we can present you with some of the deals that we're working on. So if you want to do that, go to nighthawkequity.com, click the join button, and we'd love to have a conversation with you. All right, guys, hopefully that was super inspiring. I love these kind of stories of people who quit their jobs. That's what lights me up. I want to help a thousand people quit their jobs and hand out these blue coins that I handed Will on the, on the show. If you're listening to this on iTunes, that's great. We also have these videos come out on YouTube, so make sure you go over there. If you want to see Will and I actually in action, we have the same episode on YouTube. And that's a great way also to engage there and leave comments, and we watch that as well. So if you have any questions or comments, that's a great way to do it. And likewise, if you're on YouTube and you want to get this on the car or in the gym, grab out your podcast app and subscribe to the show. All right, guys. Love it so much. Hope you guys had a good time. Catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.